I just had a thought that maybe we ought to rearrange all of our can all of our calendars because where else is, would be the place to go for the first year first day of a new year than right here. A scripture reading this morning is Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. People of God. Morning. Good morning. It's funny because when you're sitting up here, and Amy has mentioned this earlier, you come up and you look around at the beginning of the service and you're like, hmm. And then you come back up later and you're like, oh, everybody came. <laughs> you're all here. Sort of happens a little later. Anyway, my name is Kathy Nagley Delgado. Yeah, that's what it said. And um, it is my pleasure to be here with you this morning, this first day of the new year. Tired? Anybody? A little, little bit, a little bit. Um, I would have been in bed like at 10 o'clock if it were not for all the fireworks and how uh, my doggo reacts to that. And I've had some folks online talking to us about the, the same dynamic there. So anyway, it's good to be here. Good to be awake and alive on this beautiful Sunday morning. Um, I am up here as a lovely virtue more, of, more than anything of the fact that I am a certified lay minister. It's not so much that I am the administrator, it is really that I am a certified lay minister, which is a privilege um, that lay people in the United Methodist Church can take advantage of. Um, it allows us to sort of formalize our relationship with the church and step up the game a little bit. And so I really enjoy that, um, that part of my role here at Morningstar. And Doing the occasional sermon is one way, although not by any means the only way, that certified lay ministers can um, be a part of the congregation. So as I start this sermon, I think I should give you a warning. We're going to cover like vast expanses of time in 15 minutes, okay? Because you all know I do not do long sermons, right? That does not happen. Um, but we got a lot to cover. It's just there's so much to talk about in this. When, so I'm going to start in the 70s, 1970s. And I'm going to go all the way back to Noah. 
work our way all the way through the Old Testament, jump for a moment into the New Testament, fast forward to about the 18th century, 19th century, and then finally 2023. Hang on. <laughs> when I was about 13 years old, I had my first serious theological discussion with my dad. Most of you know he's an Episcopal priest. Now, of course, being a teenager, I began the conversation with an incredibly inflammatory challenge. So please don't be offended. This was 13-year-old me, okay? I marched into his office and demanded to know, are all the Jews going to hell? That's what I said right there in his office. I was quite certain that this was going to be the end of my relationship with Christianity. Not my dad. I knew he was going to love me no matter what. But I asked the question because I had been hearing people say things about this exclusivity of the Christian relationship with God. And I firmly believed at that tender age that I had discovered the flaw in their argument. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, teenagers. I really believed this was the essential flaw in that viewpoint. I just didn't believe it. And if my father said this was true, I was done. Now, of course, there are all kinds of things wrong with that question. And he could have taken me to task for any one of them. But instead, he took this petulant, demanding teenager and explained to her the idea of covenants. He explained God's covenants with the people of Israel and that God's covenants were eternal. They didn't expire, and they didn't get replaced. So no, all of the Jewish people were not condemned simply because they were not Christians, because God's covenants with them were everlasting. So I stuck around. But then... What about this talk in Jeremiah about a new covenant? Is God throwing out the old covenants, replacing them? No. Nope. God is building on them. Throughout the Old Testament, we see examples of covenants between individuals, between nations, and between people and God. Entering into covenants was a major part of what it meant to live in the ancient Near East. So God partnered with humans through a structure they already understood. There are five covenants that are considered to be foundational in the Bible, and you probably know something about them already. They are the covenants with Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and finally, the New Covenant. So you remember God's covenant with Noah? 
God promised never again to flood the earth, but to preserve it and humanity. Later, God makes a covenant with Abraham. God promises Abraham a huge family that will inherit a piece of land in Canaan and bring universal blessing to all humanity. Now, Abraham has a part to play and commands to obey, but God keeps God's promise to give Abraham a family who will inherit the land and bless the world. Then, after a time, Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, are multiplying rapidly in Egypt and are enslaved by the Pharaoh. God hears their cries for rescue and sends Moses to lead them. A covenant is established with these people of Israel through Moses and the Ten Commandments, which are intended to govern and shape the people of Israel in the promised land. This is the Mosaic Covenant. And while there are blessings or curses promised for obedience or disobedience, nevertheless, God never leaves them. God does not abandon them. The next time we see the Lord making a covenant with his people is with David. Saul is anointed as Israel's king, but he fails to obey God and is rejected. God then chooses David as king over Israel. David becomes a successful leader, overcoming Israel's enemies, restoring order, and he wants to build a temple for God to dwell with his people again. God responds to this desire by making a covenant with David, promising to make David's name great and raise up a descendant from David's line, whose throne and kingdom will last forever. For their part, David and his descendants are to remain faithful to God following the covenantal laws. Now, they fail to do that, of course, as we know. And yet, and yet, God keeps God's promise to provide a faithful descendant to David to reign. So that's four, right? That's four covenants. Zoom, right through the Old Testament, right? A speedy history lesson. But do you see how they follow each other, right? They don't replace each other. They follow each other. They build on each other. One does not invalidate the others. They simply build on one another. And now, after this covenant with David, we are left waiting for this son of God this descendant of David. This anticipation is what is named in Jeremiah in the scripture that Steve read to us this morning. This is where we learn of the new covenant. Here, Jeremiah, who is one of the Hebrew prophets, speaks of a new covenant that will be written in the hearts of God's people. 
everyone will have intimate knowledge of God and their sins will be forgiven. The Lord says, I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Isn't that beautiful? This covenant is new because it is different. The word new does not refer to a new commitment that replaces a previous one, but rather to an additional and greater level of commitment. This is what's next. It is about renewing our hearts, knowing God intimately, and being forgiven. Jesus, for us, is the fulfillment of this new covenant. Much of the New Testament is dedicated to showing how Jesus Christ fulfills these covenant promises and what life should look like for a people living in the new covenant. Jesus tells us at the Last Supper when he refers to the bread and wine as representative of his body and blood, the blood of the new covenant. All of these covenants are an expression of God's love for God's people. God's desire for all of us to know God, to live with love for each other, to care for each other, and all of God's creation. We know when we study these covenants that God has remained faithful to the people through all time, even when God's people were not faithful to God. So can we acknowledge that? Can we accept that? God remained faithful. But now I'm going to turn the tables. If God is committed to us, are we prepared to accept that as reality and commit ourselves in return to God? We've been exploring these covenants that God has made with God's people and God's steadfast love and faithfulness through it all. But what about us? What about our side of the covenantal equation? In the new covenant, we receive the forgiveness of sins and God's empowering spirit to help us live lives full of love. God's grace and mercy is freely given. We don't have to earn it. And it exists whether we accept it or not. But how can we accept it and sustain it and grow it and live within this loving relationship that God has offered us? How can we manage to live out our commitment to be followers of Jesus adequately, frail and human as we are? Can we make our own covenant with God? It's a personal question. 
it's also a community question, or what we would say a corporate question. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, definitely thought we could. Actually, he thought it was absolutely critical that we do that. He wrote a prayer, which we call the Covenant Prayer, to pray at the beginning of each new year as a way of remembering and renewing our promises to live as faithful members of Christ's church and serve as his representatives in the world. Sue and Mary, on the chairs in front of you, you will see some cards. If you would take one chair, in, yeah, there you go, you got it. If you would just take one of those cards and pass them on back to the rest of the congregation, these cards contain the words on one side of the Wesley Covenant Prayer that I'd like to share with you this morning. It is not for the faint of heart, this prayer. It describes the life of a participant with Christ in his mission. It is a practical description of what Jesus was talking about when he said, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Let me just read that one more time while we're getting these passed out. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It is, first and foremost, a prayer of letting go. I am no longer my own, but yours. We cannot live out this life on our own, but only with God's help. Actually, with God at the very center, as the core of our being. And in our culture, we tend to prize our ability to make decisions and choose our own paths in life, right? That's important to us, that independence, that self-determination. But this is different. And this prayer is like a love poem to God. It is about surrendering to God in love and joy. Establishing our re or renewing our own covenant with God helps us to remember what this way of life asks of us. What loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and loving our neighbor as ourselves requires of us. Being a Christian is more a way of life than a system of beliefs. Yeah, I said that. <laughs> Being a Christian is more a way of life than a system of beliefs. It is more about what and how we love, even more than what we say we believe. The covenants that God has established throughout the ages 
were never merely contracts or bargains or deals struck. The covenants through the ages preserved, redeemed, and upheld God's people. The new covenant gave the promise of knowing God intimately, having God in our very hearts, and being forgiven. In a few moments, I will lead us through a wonderful revised version of Wesley's covenant prayer that Pastor Amy shared with me that allows us to promise ourselves to God, to make a covenant with God, not in fear, not in fear of retribution, but as a declaration of love as a reminder that life is fragile and all good things come from God, and as a pledge that we will seek to grow in holiness and love. And the covenant prayer will also be part of our Holy Communion liturgy today. So, let's take that card. <laughs> you know, I didn't give myself one. Let's take this card. We have the covenant prayer on one side, and on the other side, we have this prayer. It's also, it may also show up on the screen, but yeah, there it is. So let me get us started. Let us pray together as individual followers of Jesus in community with each other. Righteous God, see me as I am. Forgive my unfaithfulness as I turn to you again with my whole heart. God requires that we rid ourselves of every idol in our lives. I renounce every idol in my life, promising that I will watch for any temptation that will lead me to turn away from you. Through Jesus the Christ, God offers to truly be our God if we will allow it to be so. Gracious God, I vow to give all of myself, body and soul, to serve you in all the days of my life. God has given us Jesus to model the ways of wholeness. Jesus, I join myself in covenant with you. I come to you in humility in need of grace and mercy, I accept you as my guide. Christ has told us that we will suffer in this life. I trust that I am not alone and that neither life nor death will separate me from the love of Christ. God has given our holy text to help us establish the rhythms of our life. I will strive to order my whole life around your direction. The Almighty God searches and knows us to the depths of our hearts. O oh God, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. May this covenant that I have made here on earth be ratified in heaven. Amen. And so as the new year begins... Remember that no matter what may come, 
God will be present in the midst of it. It is our acceptance of God's presence, guidance, and love that will strengthen and encourage us through it all. May your new year be filled with joy, hope, and love, and the compassion to share these blessings with others. Amen. <laughs>